Welcome to the Melrose Place cast. My name is Tej. I'm a Melrose Place super fan going back decades, and I'm here to convince my friend Mary that this show counts as high art for the generations worthy of literary praise. And I'm Mary, and I'm here to convince my friend Tej that it's a trashy soap opera, and that's okay. Join us on our very, very long journey from season one, episode one, pilot, to season seven, episode 35, Asses to Ashes. Oh, good news, Mary. There's the reboot season that we get to watch as well. What? And Models Inc., the spinoff. There's a spinoff. And we should probably review Beverly Hills 90210 when that's all done. Wasn't that on before this? Why would we do. Hello, and welcome to the Melrose Place cast. I'm Mary. Today we're talking about season one, episode 25. Irreconcilable similarities. And I'm Tej and Mary. I am so excited. We have two expert guests with us. Oh, this week. that's exciting. Can I can I tell you about them or should we wait till the end? <laughs> Whatever you think is best. <laughs> okay. Well, Mary, this is the crossover episode all of our listeners have been waiting for. We have with us the hosts of Sheltering in Melrose Place. Oh. I'm sorry, Mel- Melrose Sheltering in Place Town. For <laughs> and Nan. Christopher and Nan, Hi. Thanks for having us. Hi. (laughs) Basically, we're experts because we do kind of the same thing you do, which is a podcast about Melrose Place. Um, Ours is a, what is it called? Um, A recap podcast where we just talk about everything that happens in the episode. Um, You know, we've been at it for a while now. Um, Nan was smart and had the idea to skip over... A large chunk of season one, we did a mega episode where we covered about half of season one. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are experts in why season one is absolutely terrible and particularly different than the rest of this ser- series, it seems. Oh, dear. This is very awkward. I, Christopher and Nana, I actually had you listed as um, experts in Melrose Place premonitions. Oh. <laughs> Uh, because so Mary, they've not watched the series any of the series before they started doing the podcast. Oh, okay, so it's it's all new oh. for them. But in episode three or four of their podcast, uh, Nan suggested maybe someone should just blow up Melrose Place. <laughs> <laughs> and they, thought, they they don't know what's coming, but man, oh. that's well. I what? we do know that that happens because on our last episode for season one we reviewed the unauthorized melrose place lifetime movie and they do show that in that so (laughs) but you but you knew it was coming like you just had this gut feeling (laughs) Uh, a a prestidigitation if you will yes (laughs) Do do you know what's a true fact about that i don't know if they covered it on that special uh lifetime movie um they were initially going to have the person who blows up the building uh, have a have a hostage and fly a plane into the building, but Oklahoma City had just happened, and they they didn't even show the explosion on the season. For that. Well, they explained it as um, I think it was a DC federal building, wasn't it? Um, but but yeah, they they talk about why they changed it. In that movie. I I can't yeah. believe you haven't watched it yet. You should do at least what we did to treat yourself to it at the end of your season one. <laughs> what a treat. <laughs> It's good. All right. Well, should we get into our first high art? My first high art point that Let's I have. Okay, my high art point is actually about Jake and Joe, who were on this episode for about fourteen minutes. Um, but it is just how quickly Jake is dismissive of Joe's feminism. So that's what I would like to talk about because I think that is very reflective of how men at the time were. Uh, allowed to behave without any any pushback but what it happened here of course so keith and allison are talking about moving to seattle billy's moving out um so allison is thinking of just quitting her job and moving to seattle to follow keith which uh, joe finds personally offensive and goes off on a a, a long explanation of why essentially no woman should ever leave everything for a man Mm -hmm. And so she makes these great points. She's she she kind of flows through it and it, and it gets to her explanation. And then at the end of it, Jake just rolls his eyes and says, "Yeah, she works on these." That night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was so rude. 
and just swept everything she said away. But it did serve a point, I, and I didn't realize it until I was reviewing reviewing my notes. Later in the episode, um, Allison is getting worked up and getting nervous about leaving with Keith. And she 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 does her own soliloquy about, I will work. I will have a job. I am not just going to be sitting at home waiting for you. And it, uh, it, I believe, was stemming directly from Joe kind of trying to empower her a little bit more. But that's my high art point, how quickly people were dismissive of feminism in the early 90s. I mean, I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> uh, I will admit, I did laugh when Jake said she practices these speeches at night because I thought it was funny. But um, <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't really have a, a rebuttal to that. <laughs> um, I think I have a rebuttal, actually. Can oh, I chime in with that? Please. Yes. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I think is on my trashy points, like um, for this episode and not just this episode, this happens a lot in the show in general, but like, I think it could, I think you could read that as high art if you thought the show was aware of itself. But to me, like the show is very not self-aware around this, like battle of the sexes language that they use frequently um in this episode it happens when jake is helping uh is helping billy move his stuff like move the chair out to the dumpster because amanda has ordered him to get rid of it and um i think that the show actually like plays off of this for drama and so to me this is like more a point for like trashy soap opera is this battle of the sexes um, thing that they have going because it doesn't really feel like they know <laughs> that it's that it's over the top. I think the show because it was the '90s and the '90s were kind of like that. I think the show actually buys into it, so it's more trashy soap opera than high art. Mm-hmm. I like. I hear you, but I just prefer to live <laughs> in a different world. <laughs> Hmm. You give him well. That, that that was the all I could all I could muster for my opening <laughs> shot. I feel like it's going to get harder and harder for you the longer the show goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> no, every season, Mary, we're going to switch oh. positions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would like to talk about something that was a little trashy and soap opera y, if I may. Um, and I would like to talk about uh, the jogging. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the jogging great joy. And, uh, and I would like to also build into the Nosferatu of it all. Uh, so we see at some point Billy ha- is sitting on the floor, which is the thing I'll bring up again at Amanda's apartment. And there's an ad in the paper, Nosferatu is going to be on again. And we know he likes that because we saw it earlier this season. He watched it with Allison. And Allison, or Amanda's not really into it, but... She's like, can you just tape it? And he yells, I will tape it while we watch it. <laughs> I'm like, That's very 90s. I remember doing that. And my brother's doing that with things. And so he he's, we're going to watch Nosferatu. He decides he's going jogging. And Amanda asks, why do you have your car keys? And he said, I'm going to go back to Melrose because I get lost here. <laughs> so we cut, and this jogging, Allison is jogging. And then we cut, Billy's jogging. Do you think they're going to run into each other? I think they might. Oh, they do. Uh, and I would like to LA is a small town. <laughs> just like three streets. And so they bump into each other, really cute. They're coming around a corner. And he's like, what a coincidence. And Allison's, oh, I don't know. It's the usual route at the same time, which I thought was a funny line. Uh, they have small talk. They talk about Nosferatu being on TV. Of course, she already noticed it in the paper and made a note. She's going to watch it too with Keith. And uh, there's a little awkward moment. And it's a little uncomfortable. And he's like, hey, do you want to get some coffee? She says, no, I have to go see Keith. And so then they very cutely run off back in the same directions they came from. And it's like, <laughs> and they turn around and go the other way again. <laughs> it's hilarious. We uh, <laughs> got to that night. Nosferatu is coming on TV. Billy has an enormous bowl of popcorn. It is enormous. He's a bunch of butter, even though Amanda told him not to. And he didn't his movie. She might be vegan. She might be vegan. And he was very inconsiderate. Sure, sure. I, I don't think. <laughs> This show has indicated that, but I I understand sensitivity to butter. Uh, so we we has this giant bowl of popcorn, and we cut into his 
a movie watching ritual and he's talking about how you have to turn the lights down you have to get everything just right and then there's this very artful cut to allison's popcorn bowl and she's doing the same thing turning off the lights and keith is being a pompous ass and he's like films have the responsibility to educate and enlighten as well as entertain <laughs> what shut up like, <laughs> he said on melrose place, place. And so we cut back and forth now between the two apartments. And so over at Billy and Amanda, she's griping about the movie. Why does he care? He's already seen it. The movie's so old. She keeps talking. She turns on a lamp. He's <laughs> he's clearly sitting with her arms folded. She's not having a good time. Back over at Allison's, Keith is trying to canoodle with her and get her to make out. And she's like, no, no. And not now. And he keeps at it. And she literally elbows him away and keeps shoving popcorn in her mouth. And I've never liked her more than that moment. I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's a reasonable reaction to this. Uh, back over at Billy's, Amanda tells him, I absolutely hate horror films. And he says, well, you should have just said so. And Amanda now is going into non-Amanda territory because she's always talking about being direct. And she's like, well, it wasn't obvious. You should have just sensed it. And he says, you should be more direct. She has to turn the volume down. He goes, no, I want it loud. Like he's on <laughs> in the chocolate factory. He's like, Farouk assault. And so they get mad and they have a little, a little tiff and she goes off to bed. And then we cut back one more time to Allison's. Keith has fallen asleep on the couch while she keeps eating popcorn. And there's one last shot of Billy. And I wish I had screen grabbed it because it, it made my heart sink. He's alone on the couch with his popcorn bowl. And he glares directly into the camera while he pops. <laughs> it was very funny. And I really, uh, you could probably tell by how much I'm laughing. I really enjoyed this little scene because I thought it was actually pretty well put together for the show. Because... The fact that they thought to zoom in between the popcorn bowls is, I guess, high art for once. Uh, and I like that there was a little sense of humor about it, but, oh, it was cheesy. It was very soap opera, but enjoyable. If I may, um, you are leading into how I thought that whole sequence was high art for the ages. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, you know, I think when you talk about something being high art for the ages, um, the fact that it's like a record of how life used to be at a certain time and we're seeing it now later in the future where things are completely different. I think this sequence represents, you know, something we can't do anymore, which is watch the same thing as other people at the same time and it representing this chasm that has grown between us and we're, you know, experiencing it with the people that we've moved on to. Um, because it just wouldn't happen now. Who even knows what's playing on TV and why would you watch it when you could just stream something else that's available for free on Tubi or, you know. Um, so I think it's a it's a, a beautiful time capsule, uh, this storytelling uh, method that we have here. And that makes it high art for the ages. And I agree, Christopher, and I think they were doing that intentionally, right? They were trying to send a flare to future generations, to us, that back then there wasn't a popcorn <laughs> microwave, remember? Billy, Billy said, I'll never get used to this microwave popcorn stuff because that was, they, you just had to listen to when the popcorn stopped popping. Does a, anybody a else's time. oven have a chicken nuggets button? Oh my God. <laughs> I've heard of it, but mine doesn't, but I have heard. Ours has that. Oh, amazing. <laughs> It's the future. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> no, I, I, I think the the cinematic quality that you referenced, Mary, really, really supported the high art point. So, <laughs> so I bet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, Christopher, do you have another higher point um, you want to make? I can actually uh, talk about another one here. Um, so that chair that we were talking about. Um, I really think it was great how the writers um, went to the trouble to make it uh, into a metaphor, you know, um, but also the way that the, you know, director or unit production manager did a bad job of it. Um, so, you know, the chair is a metaphor about his relationship with Amanda, you know, they don't have a way to compromise, um, you know, she, she needs that out of her life because, um, their life together needs to be just about her decor and the things that she likes. Um, but when they figure out the compromise, um, the way they celebrate is by boning on the chair. 
<laughs> which seems awfully dangerous to me. But um, but also the other thing that I liked about that chair before was um, whenever they were talking about the obnoxious squeaky and creaky sounds that it makes, it only makes those when it's um, needed for the story. Like they move that chair around constantly throughout the episode, but you only hear the sounds when they talk about the fact that it makes sounds. So um, I believe that's kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? A philosophical high art point, which is, you know, uh, saying things about what is observed and what really happens if nobody's paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Does the, does the chair exactly. speak if no one's listening? If the chair is alone in a dumpster with nobody to hear, does it make a sound? I found I was watching the episode too closely, which is a common thing that happens every week. I'm paying way too much attention to this. And I, I started debating whether or not the chair had wheels on it at one point, And I was like, why am I <laughs> I'm like, sometimes it, it is squeaking and it sounds like they're pushing it and it's on legs and other times it's like it's on wheels. I don't know. I suppose, I'm not sure. <laughs> I want to know how, how can they close so the, the doors of the cab when the chair is tied to the top? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that chair on the top of the cab. Oh my God. <laughs> when he came around the corner, I died. And that music that's playing in the background, I mean, oh my God, it literally killed me. It was so triumphant, and I'm like, you're back to your old apartment and you're on the car. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like a chariots of fire kind of thing. <laughs> you, would, would you have expected them to quickly take the chair off? Absolutely, yes. I think I put that in the outline. <laughs> that seem, I wrote that down. That seemed very dangerous to me. Now, I, I maybe there's like a back roadway he can get to the airport, but I couldn't imagine being on a freeway with a chair like up on top of your car. <laughs> it's super dangerous. Yes, the wind resistance. Like, oh no. <laughs> well, and this is the fictional Valley Airport, which um, we should probably go over to Trashy for a minute. But I do have another high art point about that airport. But yeah, it's not in my Trashy points. But I will say I was too distracted from the chair issue by googling what is this rinky dink little airport they have in LA. <laughs> It looks like a regional airport for some semi-rural place in Texas or something. <laughs> so. I liked that it had like one parking spot in the front. <laughs> like, I need an airport like that. You, like I'm in a rinky-dink town. I think even we have more than one parking spot. <laughs> well, I like that Billy said, oh, don't worry. They don't touch cabs. And it's like, well, maybe if he would have parked less than four feet away from the curb he might not have gotten a ticket for that reason but. <laughs> that was a fun little moment i liked that that was well done melrose place <laughs> well should we take a break or should we hit another trashy point i i don't know if there are enough trashy um points well i have going. a trashy point so um one of my favorite things about this show and the writing on it is that the people the cast seems sort of like geese in a snowstorm. They're just sort of like furiously doing things all the time. And there seems to be, you think that there's like character continuity and then all of a sudden there's just not, right? So um, the fact in this episode that Allison is just so excited to drop everything and move to Seattle with Keith after she's been obsessed with this job at D&D for the whole, you know, first part of the season and has gotten these opportunities and is just willing to quit her job with no notice and no like and move to Seattle basically overnight, I think is for me a trashy point because this is one of those moments where I almost feel like I can see the writers in a room just being like, what can we do to ramp up the drama? What can we do to like, you know, ramp up the uh, emotional tension in the show? I know we'll have this person for whom this is doesn't fit into their characterization sort of at all do this completely random thing that is indeed very dramatic and definitely is the central emotional tension sort of of the episode, but doesn't really make any sense when you think about like who Allison is and, um, and she doesn't even really seem conflicted about it. She's just like, 
you know, things here kind of suck. So hell yeah, let's go. Um, and to me, that's, uh, this is one of those moments yet again, where I just feel like I can see the hacky writing like happening in real time on my screen. And, um, you know, it's just there for the drama. Do you think that she was so into Keith because of the sex? Because remember how she talked about like, how it was the most amazing and she had no idea that sex could be so good i mean we've all been in the set i mean i can't speak for everybody but i think we've all been there but uh still i didn't move to seattle for anybody off the drop of a hat so <laughs> i enjoyed so there's that point where he's dressed betsy for her because she's still upset after the carjacking and she starts apologizing for how long she's making him wait for an answer the carjacking, they say, literally happened one week ago. And that's when he asked her to move to Seattle. I'm like, I think it's fair to take a week. I think that's fine. Oh, yeah. Time in this series is, like, completely bananas. You know, in this one episode, Billy literally moves out of his house and moves back in to his house in one episode. <laughs> it was an eventful week, you know? The, the hackneyed writing, I, you know, I, I'm very curious for the perspective of Christopher and Ann, you two have something Mary and I discussed on last week's episode. There, This was, if you remember, Jake and Joe got in a big fight about Joe having mm, a gun. Yeah. And, and Jake went on a, he had a, a gun rights speech written, in, or I'm sorry, an anti-gun speech. Joe had the gun rights speech um, written into their arc, but it didn't seem character appropriate that Joe had the gun and that Jake was wildly opposed to it. And I was just curious if you It's been that. so long that I don't necessarily, I mean, you're saying it and it's coming back to me. I don't necessarily, until you said it, I didn't have that in my memory bank, but that happens constantly on this show to me, like where people just say and do random things to move the story in some very obviously predetermined direction, but it doesn't fit. I mean, I say it doesn't fit who they are. Sometimes I wonder if we're even supposed to know who they are because they are like these geese in a snowstorm just sort of doing things. Um, but uh, yeah, again, agreed. I don't see how that fits who they're supposed to be as people. I mean, I'm kind of into gun right. Like I believe I'm. I think we can regulate them, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm not totally anti-gun. So I kind of love that Joe took that position, but it doesn't really fit. I feel like who like jake being anti-gun like what that's that feels so random and it feels like it's just there and angrily so yeah yeah, yeah. well i i haven't aside from that one instance the writing has seemed very <laughs> smooth to me when i when i think of sandy's character arc everything rondo went through it all just flowed so naturally and beautifully if you will it's so beautiful so beautiful <laughs> This week's episode of the Melrose Placecast is again brought to you by Dr. Shaw's Marriage Counseling, now offering breakfast. <gasps> Longtime listeners of the Melrose Placecast may remember Dr. Shaw's Marriage Counseling on the corner of Mulholland and Vine. Now, there's a lot going on at Mulholland and Vine, but what, not, what is currently not happening is a place to get breakfast and infidelity. So what you can do now, you can schedule your counseling appointment with Dr. Kimberly Shaw. It's a marriage counseling appointment. There's one way in, but of course, you remember there's the two doors out, right? Because you're going to come in together, but you're leaving separately. <laughs> and if you schedule a morning appointment, we can pair things up with your meal. So you can get eggs and infidelity if you would like to, or coffee and cuckoldry. <laughs> you could order a bagel and uh, adultery. Wow. Or maybe just get a little cheese with your cheating. <laughs> Either way, you're going to come to Dr. Shaw's Marriage Counseling on the corner of Mulholland and Vine with your wife or husband or partner or whatever to discuss your problems. Dr. Shaw will listen intently and then take that information to destroy your marriage and make sure you are separated by the end of it because you're going to leave separately and one of you is going to cross the street to Divorce City <laughs> to begin that process. <laughs> so Dr. Shaw's Marriage Counseling, now offering breakfast. You can get cheese with your cheating. 
one way in, two doors out. Remember, <laughs> should you be jealous? Probably. <laughs> I was so hoping that uh, Dr. Shah's service would have been paying attention to this week's episode and, and do an ad and a deal like this. I really could see her clientele going for this breakfast deal. You know, it, it really is an important way to dissolve a marriage, right? You don't want to do that on an empty stomach. And breakfast is the most important meal of the day. <laughs> it's true. You don't want to go into breaking up your marriage on an empty stomach. Now, there's also, there's some good news too. On the interior of the, of the counseling room, mm. we have new furniture. Oh, really? Tell me more. Yep, yep, yep. We've got a discount couch. That you can use, for, you can sit together with your spouse, or you can find yourself laying there on, on your own, right? Or you can just go ahead and have an affair right there on the couch. Because <laughs> it's it's chintz, and you can't go wrong with chintz. <laughs> you really can't. I, I learned that at a certain furniture store once. That's where we got the couch. Oh, my God. Wow. What, yep. what a great upgrade for Dr. Shah's clientele. Before that, it had been uncomfortable chairs, and many of our guests would just sit on the floor. So, <clears throat> you know, which has its own excitement and appeal, but we really wanted to have a, a softer surface to begin the adultery process. Mm. That's just the sort of thoughtful approach I would expect from Dr. Shaw and her associates. Don't forget the breakfast. Oh, God, no. Oh, what a deal. Well, I, I can't wait for the day I can use Dr. Shaw's services so I can both have my marriage explode and get breakfast out of the deal. You know, you can break the bonds of marriage while you break open an egg. <laughs> what a delicious conundrum. What a delicious divorce. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, grind up your loving feelings for your, with your spouse. At the same time, you're grinding coffee beans for a nice, fresh espresso. Mm. That was a that was a stretch, but it was worth a try, you know. <laughs> if... right. And we are back for the second half of season one, episode twenty-five of the Melrose Place cast. We are discussing with two special guests uh, irreconcilable similarities. I'm Teej, and I'm Mary, and we're here with Christopher and Nan from. Sheltering. Nope. In, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us where you're from. Uh, we're from Melrose Sheltering in Place, which you're onto something because Nan did originally suggest sheltering in Melrose Place. And I was kind of nervous about having the actual title in the name for some reason, but everybody else does it. So, um, yeah, it's all my fault that it's a hard name to say. <laughs> good. All right. Well, should we get started, Mary? Do you have another trashy point? Sure. And I'm so excited because finally we have seen the emancipation of Amanda Woodworth's raised sharp tongue. I have been waiting because I knew it was coming and I hope, I can't remember if it sticks for this week. Oh, but what a dream. So we start on this episode uh, where Billy is wandering around the apartment and maybe he can't get comfortable in any of her furniture, which to be very modern and a lot of people like you, or like you do. Uh, she comes out dressed for work and she tells him she's done laundry and it's in the closet and that's all folded. And he says, you didn't have to do that. And she goes, I like doing it. It's nice to take care of someone besides myself. And Billy has the audacity to say, this is like a culture shock. Allison never did anything for me, which is so false. <laughs> and Amanda's like, I guess she wasn't in love with you. And this makes my heart sink because I'm like, oh God, it's another week of this where Amanda is being like, sickly sweet and it's it feels wrong it feels wrong and dirty so we cut to D&D &D, and this is right after Allison has spontaneously decided to move to Seattle so she tells Amanda today's her last day she's moving away this has nothing to do with Amanda and Billy <laughs> and Amanda says I wasn't thinking that and Allison now decides to she's flipping her switch she's like oh yeah you were and she scolds Amanda and says just admit you're relieved you have this whole businesswoman act down to a T, but the truth is everything you say is a disguise or something else. I'm tired of it. Everyone is tired of it. And there's like a light that comes on in Amanda's eyes finally. And she goes, everyone except Billy, you want directness and honesty? Fine. Your leaving is the best news I've heard all week. <laughs> there's a guitar lick. 
And then Amanda goes, don't forget your raincoat. And I'm like, oh my God, finally. (laughs) Cut way later in the episode, we're at Allison's going away party at the beach. And she plops down next to Amanda on a log. And she makes a dig at her for not having any friends of her own. And Amanda replies, that's a cheap shot. Allison stupidly digs in and says it was right on target. And Allison asks if every woman is a threat to Amanda. Amanda says, no, advertising is just tough. And some people don't have what it takes. And Allison says, you lack compassion. And Amanda replies, you know, I don't have to listen to this. And here's a beautiful moment. The truth is, I know how big you are on the truth. You're jealous of everything I have. My job, Billy, you're running away because you can't handle it. Oh, so she walks away. Billy has to leave then because that's who he rode with. And so their goodbye is kind of quick and out of the way. The next morning, Amanda, this, this is finally what made my heart sink. She's, it's holding. The, the, the words are holding when she was turning into the bitch that I love. And she starts scolding Billy for leaving his wet towels on the floor. While he is leaning on the kitchen counter like he's struggling to hold his head up while he eats a bowl of cereal. Uh, she, and then she scolds him because his clothes are all over the floor in the closet. And Billy replies, well, whatever happened to doing something nice for somebody else? <laughs> and she replies, I don't have time to do that every- and when I said that, and he says, you were just being nice. Amanda says, no one's honest all of the time. Some of us just think it's better to get along than constantly bear one's soul. Billy decides, much like Allison, to dig in and say, not liking towels is not exactly bearing one's soul. And you should have said something. And it just keeps going. And she says, I feel like I'm talking to Allison. What did she do last night? Did she warn you? He says, this has nothing to do with Allison. And she said, who's lying now? I'm no fool. You're comparing to me ever since you moved in. You want to know something? I'm glad I'm not, Allison. I'm glad I'm not some ditzy, indecisive little Midwestern nitwit who's so scared of life that she's running out to Seattle with some guy she barely knows. And he gets all mad. He's like, oh, that's a wonderful, sensitive woman. And Amanda's just done with it. She's done with it. He tells her, I don't like you very much. And she says, be up by the time I get home. You can start with that chair. <laughs> and I'm like, is this gonna hold? I hope it holds till next week. I think it does. And I just, this is the Amanda I've been waiting for. This is soap opera Amanda, where she's just a bitch and a wonderful bitch. And God, I hope this sticks. Hallelujah. <laughs> she's high art. It's not trashy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really gonna struggle to make that point. Christopher Nan, I'm very, I'm very curious on your perspective of this. So. Mary and I watched, I think, the first four seasons, not all of the four seasons. Brooke was still alive when Mary stopped. Um, so we see Amanda in her final form. And Amanda hooking up with Billy does not match. But you watched it for the first time together. As this was happening, did this relationship make sense to you? Did Amanda Woodward, being the type of person that makes breakfast in bed with fresh flowers to impress Billy Campbell. Did that ever track? So I've never seen the show before, but I was like around in the nineties. And I remember sort of the pop culture understanding of Amanda Woodward as this bitch. And, you know, they even had the, I think the billboards promoting the show were like Mondays are a bitch or something. And it had, uh, I hope we can say the B word in the show. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and so coming into it fresh, this being my introduction to Amanda as this like kind of nice lady that's trying to date Billy, like Billy's the worst. Um, And so it did not track with just sort of my cultural understanding of who Amanda is supposed to be um, later in the show, even though I have not seen that there's definitely just, if you were around in the nineties and you're paying any kind of attention, I think you knew Amanda Woodward was a bitch. Uh, so no, this was kind of a weird, a weird uh, introduction to Amanda for for me for sure. Well, and I think it's very good social commentary for something that's still an issue today, which is, you know, women are expected to have it all and do it all and look good while doing it and be powerful and cunning, but also sweet and all this, and men are just expected to show up. <laughs> and i'm not sure that i always buy that amanda i've told christopher this before i'm not sure that i totally buy that her being nice is always an act i honestly think amanda might be a really the one and only decently written complicated character on this show i know this is betraying my this show is just trash trashy soap opera argument but i think 
sometimes I feel like Amanda might actually be that complicated person who is like most people kind of mean and kind of nice and sometimes honest and sometimes duplicitous and sometimes, you know, like I think um, I actually am kind of justice for Amanda, honestly, uh, as a human. I kind of love her. Do you think it's possible that Heather Locklear put a writer in her contract that said, sure, I'll be on Melrose Place, but I'm bringing my own writer? Oh, yeah, that would make total sense, because honestly, this level of writing is above anything else that we see come out of this writer's room pretty much ever. It really is, yeah. No, I agree with what you said. I I think she's probably, at least to this point in the show, the most complicated character. And I also, I I don't think Amanda is all bad at all. I, I think she has certain rules in her head about what's okay and what's not okay. And I feel like she gives people the length of rope until they do something to make her want to pull it back. And then she yanks it back. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, totally. Well, I would like to make one last attempt to convince you all that this is high art for the generations. And it is, it is about Sam. Oh, so I'll run through the storyline, but the point that I think that Melrose Place uh, literary authors are making is that people change over time. So here's what happened. So Jane and Michael are back on the show. They had, I don't know where they were for three weeks, but they were not here. And uh, we're reintroduced to Dr. Michael Mancini because Sam is coming, uh, but Mike has, Michael has to work. So Sam and Jane go out to dinner together where Sam admits that he always... Um, always loved Jane. No woman was ever good enough for him because they weren't as good as Jane. And she agrees that she used to have a crush on him, but they kind of flirt or giggle it away. At the end of the night, Sam kisses Jane. She, after a second, pulls back. Sam apologizes and says, actually, no, I'm not sorry. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> and then he says, I suppose inviting you up is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an invitation, but Jane says, no, that would be way too tempting, which I thought was rather forward for Jane Mancini. Yeah. Um, although she she did hide her wedding ring in a garbage can. Also, <laughs> <maybe not. laughs> but, so you can tell we're supposed to know that Jane is feeling guilty because she makes Michael a fancy dinner. Michael immediately knows something is up, that there must be bad news. Um, but Jane doesn't tell him and she has every opportunity and she does not. Then the phone rings and Sam says he has to meet Michael at the hospital and that he sounded strange. And Jane, you could see, she knows she should tell Michael right now, but she doesn't. Sam meets Michael, acknowledges it, and Michael comes home acting crazy, just very angry. Jane lied and and all of that, right? So they get in this big fight. Jane makes specific references to Michael's temper. uh, And I think that was the writer's way of telling us, if you haven't noticed, we really want you to see the bad side of Michael Mancini. He has a temper. Um, and then Michael goes back to work and he's venting to Kimberly, who offers to buy him breakfast. And this time, Michael takes her up on it. So they go on their first date at the hospital cafeteria. The reason I think this storyline represented high art for the generations is that the writers were wanting us to see that people change over time. And the character Sam was played by Rob <laughs> Estes in season one. In season five, he comes back as a main <laughs> character, Kyle Fried, <laughs> the same actor, and and interacts with Jane no less. But this whole storyline behind them is forgotten. And I thought casting the same actor for two different characters in one series uh, was high art for the generations. <laughs> Did he change his hair or anything like that? <laughs> nothing, nothing. He looks exactly the same. Which is unfortunate because that haircut is bad news. <laughs> Um, you know what else is bad news is Jane's outfit at that dinner, especially the hat. Oh, that hat. (laughs) Those hats, though, were the hottest thing ever in that, in like 1992, 93. They always find me of the opening credits of Blossom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think she got Sandy's old hats when she went to New York. Yeah, it's kind of fun to see the machinations of splitting up Michael and Jane really kick in at this point, um, especially when you know it's coming because it's they're such a boring couple and she will remain so boring, but he is so much more fun when he's bad. So it's I shouldn't root for him to become evil, but it's so much more entertaining. 
<laughs> That's all. I also I really did enjoy the 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 way they got around to Kimberly, and this is the first episode where two of the three are together. Kimberly, Sydney, or Amanda are on the same episode. I think I don't think. Oh no, no, Sydney was gone before Amanda showed up, so we're not yet at the trifecta all being here together, but we're getting closer. Oh, what a. <laughs> Is there a, are we out of trashy points? <laughs> I mean, I have a small, uh, but extremely noticeable trashy point about this episode, which is Billy sitting on the floor every time we turn around and he's in Amanda's apartment, he's sitting on the floor. And that scene sort of in the very beginning where he's like, comes in in the morning and he's like tries to sit at the table and it's just not working and then like he finally ends up on the floor and um again this is one of those moments where i feel like i can see the writers thinking we need to show that billy is not comfortable in amanda's place and is not comfortable with the the situation you know like there's just they're not they're not jiving he doesn't fit in here and so what can we do and they just go with he sits on the floor every time you turn around he's sitting on the floor and i just it's so goofy that um and it literally again is one of those things that is just there to hype up the drama of their relationship to really show us uh that they're not working out but it's the most random way to go about it that i just can't take it seriously all i can do is laugh and it's so goofy just billy sitting on the floor that is one of my trashy points <laughs> i agree he sits in a weird location and i know that's a real cool but like if you're gonna sit on the floor at least like sit in front of the couch so you can watch the tv or something but he's <laughs> like the bar like the breakfast bar it was very an odd choice. He was like taking shelter underneath it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just realized this. I think the authors were trying to tell us that this relationship was doomed for failure because both Billy and Amanda are secretly gay and haven't accepted it yet. <laughs> Follow my theory. <laughs> so Amanda has Billy move in within days of meeting her father, which oh. was within days of starting the relationship. So I think they're playing on the lesbian stereotype there. And it is, I believe, a well-documented scientific fact that gay men cannot sit on chairs comfortably. <laughs> and, but it was the early 90s. They couldn't just say that explicitly. So I think that's what we're supposed to infer here. Well, I can um, contribute to this as well. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed um, that during the 80s, um, they were basically all over movies. They were kind of recruiting the next generation of gay men by taunting them with imagery of jockstraps. Um, you see it in things like, you know, Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds and Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Um, when they were carrying the chair out of Melrose Place, Joe had one of Billy's jockstraps and like placed it gently atop the pile of stuff on the chair. <laughs> And um, that was an obvious callback to um, when he first moved in with uh, Allison, and she was so annoyed by his jock straps hanging everywhere, much the same way her bras maybe should be after she washes them. Um, so that was very symbolic of not only their relationship tearing apart, but Joe also proving that she's a very different kind of woman than Allison. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't notice that in the 80s, but that helps me understand a lot. <laughs> uh, Christopher, did you have any other high art points? Um, yeah, I did want to mention one thing that um, they were trying to, the writers were trying to, you know, they, they talked about cinema before by weaving in Nosferatu again. Um, and I think that they wanted to kind of enshrine Melrose Place in cinematic history by um, copying a famous scene. So they wrote this whole thing about this fake airport so that they could say goodbye to each other, Billy and Allison, at uh, walking up to an airplane like Casablanca, which I've never even seen Casablanca, but I know about the whole 
saying goodbye by the airplane thing. Um, and it's such a baffling scene because like they're, they're, they're walking on either side of this little, uh, waist height fence and they get all the way to the end of it. And then there's a velvet rope there, which Billy acts like he's trapped behind. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the whole thing just felt like, um, a beautiful piece of cinematic history being remixed for a new audience. And thus it is high art for the ages. I do not see how you can think that is anything other than trashy soap opera. That whole scene <laughs> baffled me when Billy's like, you're leaving the best group of people you've ever met. I'm like, no one in their twenties is this torn about leaving, moving around the country. No one, everyone's moving all the time in their twenties. They're following new jobs. They're following new relationships. They're doing all these things. And then he's like the tears streaming down his face. I, I died. Uh, it was, it was so over the top in a bananas way that it is absolutely trash uh, soap opera. <laughs> I, I have to agree. And I just kept getting distracted by the fact that, I mean, the world is a different place now. And you can't just like follow your friend out to the tarmac, basically. <laughs> hey, I'm walking with you here. And, like, I, I also clocked the waist high chain link fence. And I'm like, who is this stopping? It actually had to stop. A child could get over this fence. And the little throat made me laugh too, because I'm like, the fact that it would either stop someone other than Billy, or that it looks like fancy, is that what it's supposed to be? <laughs> You're talking to the beauty of the air. <laughs> Behold it's, this it's a boutique airport. <laughs> you know, I did not know that that airport was, was fictional, so that is helpful. <laughs> but it, it does, Billy does touch back on, on something that Joe had said seven episodes ago in episode 18, A Melrose Place Christmas, she talked about how this group of friends were just what she always needed. She didn't know she was missing it at all. She'd only been here for two weeks, but already she knew that this was the greatest group of people. And as is always the case, nobody complained when Joe said it because Joe lives in this ridiculous double standard where she can do things that other people can <laughs> Oh, Billy. <laughs> I I have one other point I want to make. <clears throat> I think uh, I think Mary, you touched on it, but it was just the unrealistic expectations Billy had in the very beginning when Amanda was folding his laundry or whatever he was doing, and he said, "Oh, thanks, Allison never did anything like this for me." And I just wrote like, "You weren't dating. Yeah. Why would you expect that? Where did that? You can't compare a friend to a girlfriend. Like, what are you thinking? No, no." He's just, I mean, that's one of the things that frustrates me about this part of the show is that they kind of want it both ways with Billy. Like, they want him to be, like, this sort of young, immature guy who just is out of college. It's his first time really living on his own. And they want us to think he's sophisticated enough to go out with Amanda Woodward. And I'm like, no, he's not. He he can't be both of these things. Maybe someone else could, but not Billy. Well, do you remember early in the show, every time Billy would pout about something, Allison was like, well, I guess I better make him dinner to make him feel better. Like, what what kind of relationship was that supposed to be? <laughs> when she would fatten them up with tuna casserole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did, did anyone else have any other points to make before we hit highlights? I think I've exhausted my side of the spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm solid. I feel I've won. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So usually we wrap up with just any other highlights anyone noticed that we didn't get to get to talk about. Mary usually has a list. <laughs> I do. Again, I watch this show far too closely, uh, <laughs> but I'll leave some on the table. I won't take up everything in case other people have these. One moment I really liked was when Michael was on the phone with Sam and he's bragging about how living in California is the greatest. He works at the best hospital and there's these pristine beaches and all this sunshine and he's working on a toilet. <laughs> I think we've all done that before. Um, oh gosh, there were a lot, had a lot of things. Uh, I really enjoyed when Allison was getting ready to move and she hands Joe a lamp and says, I figure the more I give away, the less I have to move. And Joe makes this wonderful face, like, <laughs> but she takes it just to be nice, I guess. Um, oh God. Oh, but Lucy, I loved the little scene with Lucy. I'm glad they fit that in somewhere. Cause I think that was, that was satisfying. And I like that she scolded Allison 
for quitting by leaving a message on her machine. And she says, this is not McDonald's, Allison. It's called giving notice. (laughs) That's a life lesson. Yes, you should learn that. Uh, The moment when Rhonda shows up during Jane and Michael's fight at their apartment to go to the beach picnic. And she's just like, oh, who's driving? And she's like, oh, I guess me. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say that one because she literally doesn't pause long enough to clock what's happening. She's like, whose car are we taking? I guess mine. And I'm like, how did you figure out? Like... (laughs) We don't have any more time to fill this scene. We have to go. Just say it. (laughs) Um, I was so glad to see Matt got to show up for about two minutes and that he got to say, I think I left my ukulele back at the apartment. That's funny. The moment of Jane and Michael working the grill and they're both shoving hot dogs around with tongs. Oh, God. Then just one more time back to the airport and Billy wandering up to the tarmac and that waist high fence that that really wow, chef kiss. I enjoyed that. (laughs) Christopher, did either of you have any? I just want to like playing off of Mary's list. I also want to point out that Matt was not holding those marshmallows even remotely close to the fire when he was trying to roast them (laughs) on the beach. And it was all I could look at the whole time he was talking. Um, so yeah, tip that's very Melrose. Um, <laughs> my favorite was when uh, Billy and Allison ran into each other jogging. The, the show has a lot of these continuity problems when they have two people going back and forth between them. So the two of them, you know, they've been jogging and they're so athletic and they're panting when they talk. But whenever one of them is talking and panting, the other one is perfectly silent. <laughs> <laughs> the other person should be panting too, even if they're not talking. Panting is not just a part of talking; it's the whole breathing, you know. <laughs> like they, they might not have even been there together filming. Who knows? I I noticed for some reason Allison appeared to be running in L.A. in a hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> that that felt like a choice to me. Um, I also found it odd. I. I still just can't wrap my head around Amanda Woodward hanging out at a beach bonfire, drinking beer. Like it just, I can't accept it. (laughs) Why did they have that beach party an hour away from Melrose place? Like for somebody who's leaving town in a hurry, they could probably use all the time they can get to pack and clean. And they they drive an hour each way for this dumb party. Like why didn't they just go to shooters with all the people that live in their apartment complex like they moved basically the whole apartment complex to the beach and back <laughs> they could have just had a bonfire in that dirty dirty weber grill you know yeah. <laughs> and the last highlight i have i just think it's worth repeating is amanda's quote i'm glad i'm not allison i'm glad i'm not some ditzy indecisive little midwestern nitwit who's scared of life that she's running off to seattle with some guy she barely even knows because i screamed out loud when that happened in excitement <laughs> yeah that's solid solid and overdue <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so at the end, when we have a special expert guest, uh, we we ask you to vote uh, on whether or not you find this show to be high art or a trashy soap opera. And we count the votes that say high art. (laughs) 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 Insert a stop the steal joke here. (laughs) Well, I'm here to represent high art, so I vote for high art for the ages. I am literally, I am completely voting trashy soap opera. (laughs) Well, this one's a tie. We'll have to coin flip. (laughs) All right. Well, that brings us to the end. Nan, Christopher, thank you so much for joining us. This was, this was a lot of fun for me. Thanks for having us. I love the show and I'm really happy to be a part of it. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was fun. This week's episode of the Melrose Placecast is brought to you in part by the Melrose Council for Chair Awareness. This week's episode of Melrose Place may have disturbed some viewers with a frank depiction of character Billy's inability to successfully operate something we all take for granted every day, chairs. In scenes reminiscent of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, we saw Billy move from seat to seat throughout his new apartment, none of them feeling just right, until he simply gave up and sat on the floor like a wild animal. It doesn't have to be like this. 
The Melrose Council for Chair Awareness is working hard every day to give young adults like Billy the tools they'll need to navigate an ever-changing seating landscape. <laughs> it is. It's changing all the time. Uh, we have ever-changing, uh, ever-changing innovative workshops. We have educational films and internships in the seating industry. Billy and others like him are learning crucial life skills, like how to sit down, how to use armrests, and standing up again. And as their skills progress, we teach them advanced techniques, like what to do if your chair has a cup holder, how to <laughs> scoot in a wheelie chair, how do you flatten a folding chair, and most difficult of all, how to get in and out of a beanbag chair. Graduates of the Chair Awareness Program are guaranteed a life of comfortable sitting and to no longer feel their blood run cold at the sight of a papazon chair in their friend's apartment. For more information about how you can get involved or for a list of resources to share with someone in your life who may be seating illiterate, please visit chairawareness.melrose backslash how chairs work for more information. That's the Melrose Council for Chair Awareness, helping people get comfortable one butt at a time. Okay. Well, Mary, it is a well-known fact, though, that uh, chairs in their normal structure don't work for gays. Do you do you have a, a segmented approach for us? We do. We do. We offer um, some of our regular coursework. But we offer some um, partnerships with uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and we have guest instructors that come in and continue. <laughs> some of that community, some alternative seating methods that might feel more comfortable for their lifestyle. Oh my goodness. Do you like Trixie Mattel? I, I don't want to name names. Shangela? I can't, I can't confirm or deny. You're just going to have to find out. Sherry, Sherry Pie? No. <laughs> We're not affiliated with Sherry Pie. <laughs> That's a hard no. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, this is this is exciting. I did not know this service was out there, but it's it's really good. It, it really just tugs at your heartstrings to see a twenty-something pair of abs um, just struggling to find a good seat. It really does, and you know, I I don't know what's gone wrong in the American school system, but the fact that we have young adults graduating from high school who simply can't operate a chair. We just have to change this. We have to get them prepared for the modern seating workforce. Uh, this is a global chair community, and we all have to be ready to take our seats. It, 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 it does take a village. Do you know what's fascinating to me? In this episode of Melrose Place, Mary, Billy had a similar problem. Yes. Yes. And he, he couldn't find a comfortable seat anywhere in Amanda's apartment, despite the plethora of choices before him. Mm-hmm. But that futon in, in his apartment worked just fine for him. Yes. Well, it was, it, as a young man of a certain age, it was a piece of seating he was very familiar with and he had grown comfortable. But as you could see, when presented with alternative seating options that he was less familiar with, he simply gave up and sat on the floor like a dog. <laughs> Can I tell you this? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad Dan and Christopher were here to talk about it. Uh, I did not get at all the point they were making with Billy sitting on the floor when I watched the show. I totally missed it. And then the importance of the chair he was comfortable with <laughs> totally lost on me. I, I got that it was like a metaphor for like she's she's putting her foot down. But I, it didn't occur to me like, oh, he has no he, he there's nowhere he will sit. And she just threw out his only chair. <laughs> I really enjoyed that moment, too. when uh, Joe and Jake were there and. Billy kind of begrudgingly says, okay, I'll get rid of the chair. And her eyes light up. She's like, how about tonight? How about tonight? I'll be carrying it down the dumpster. You know what? Just kick it down the stairs. Just kick it. We'll open the window. The balcony is right there. Yeah, we don't need it to be okay after it lands. It's fine. So, wait, seriously, how, how long does this show go on? How many episodes are there? <laughs> I told you this, right? So it goes to season seven of the original run, but then there's the re the reboot season. So there's how many reboot seasons? Just the one so far. So far. Okay. But there's also, but then Mary, there's the, the Amazon has the true story of Melrose Place movie that we should cover. Oh God. How long? Yeah. 
and and uh, models inc has to be covered too wait what the hell is models inc it's a two-season spinoff of what what do they (laughs) melrose place from the lady from dynasty was on it i think lady from dynasty my god this was like a whole industry and I do think 90210 to get to understand where this show came from is probably worth exploring. I, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> and then when Allison left, she went to Allie McBeal. Does it have anything to do with the contents of Melrose Place? I just feel like, how do you really want to be an expert in this or not? I mean, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> okay, so we're in for all of it. Oh, God. 